12 to 1 on Money FM 89.3. You're listening to 12 to 1 with Adrian Abraham. And one thing we love on this show is feel good stories. I know we talk a lot about the FB industry, particularly here in Singapore. But what about a feel good story? Well, my next guest was a university dropout. In fact, he was making $7.30 an hour working at Pizza Hut when his friend tried to convince him to come along to an event. He has now built an empire worth more than $300 million. He co founded Zucal, which is a company that helps students to learn at more affordable prices by allowing them to rent and buy new textbooks online. And his second company, Flirty, which is now called Skydrop, is a drone delivery service. My next guest is Ahmed Haider. So good to have you on the show. How are you? Good, thank you. Lovely to connect, Adrian. Thanks for the time. What an introduction. I absolutely love that, you know, and just talking about <laughs> your time in Pizza Hut. And we'll get into all of that in a bit. You were born in Pakistan and you spent your early years growing up in a modest home before you moved to Sydney, Australia. Now, do you remember a lot from those initial days that you'd moved to Australia? What was that like? Because culturally, it was a lot different and you didn't speak much English at all, if not any. Yeah, definitely. I think um, like uh, most most people in the Sydney's West, uh, sort of an immigrant family. And uh, once once we moved here, there was a huge amount of uh, readjustment and, and learning. But I was quite lucky I came at a relatively young age.、Uh, but I imagine the、uh, immense challenges were probably for the parents more so、um, trying to navigate and, and figure things out. Memories that you can recall from those days was there? I mean, besides the, the challenges, the language barrier, was there something else that you can think of off the top of your head? Parents did a really fantastic、uh, job to kind of make sure that we never really felt uh, you know, uh, where we were、uh, in terms of the uh, financial uh, limitations. And, but I do remember sort of going to school and, and we always had、uh, different clothes to everyone else. And, and later, years later, I found out it's because we couldn't afford the、um, school uniforms. So we would get、uh, clothes from the、uh, Salvation Army.、Um, and so it was like bright blue, <laughs> whereas everybody else was sort of dark blue. But You know, as a child, you don't really notice these things.、Um, and the parents did a really good job to, you know,、uh, sort of make sure、uh, we didn't even realize what was going on. And so it was quite good memories、uh, as a child. But it's just the, the little things kind of growing up where, you know, the, the bicycle was a little bit too big. And I always thought that the way to ride a bicycle is you have to climb on top of the bicycle and lean it against the fence to get on and off. And I found out years later that they had just gotten this free one that was like, you know, five sizes too big. So it's just little things like that that you kind of remember. There's something remarkable about. Immigrant families and what they do, the extent they go for, so that their kids never have to worry, you know, for the rest of their lives. And I'm sure your parents would be so proud of what you've become and not just your net worth, but the person that you've, you know, eventually gone on to be. So you went to Homebush Boys High School and you made a lot of good friends there. But also at the time, what was it like? Because I did mention the language barrier and the clothes you said were a lot different. But was it easy to sort of comprehend? Because you also got into trouble quite a bit with your teachers. So how did that all work out? Yeah, definitely. I think、um, the experience kind of going back to school was a really evolutionary one where you kind of、uh, went to classes and, and realized that you were able to kind of pick up a lot of the subjects very, very quickly. And the way the、uh, school system、uh, was designed at that time, it, it didn't really encourage innovation. And so if you're not used to a structured environment, 
and you want to better understand why on certain concepts, you're going to run into trouble. And uh, I remember sort of questioning teachers around, you know, they were trying to explain a particular concept. And I would say, well, why, why does it work like that? And uh, the response I would get is, it's in the textbook. And that's why you have to, you know, <laughs> and so I would uh, end up getting detention. Um, but it's just sort of, and I think, uh, you know, society's evolved a lot now from that. And especially thanks to the internet, where um, you're able to go off and sort of learn a lot of different things. And, you know, I think uh, that particular experience was quite challenging because, you know, I think uh, if your brain's sort of geared towards thinking outside the box, uh, you, you're going to have a very hard time in a structured uh, environment like school. Now, this reminds me a lot of myself growing up academically, not very gifted, a bit of a rebel. But at the same time, I would like to consider myself a creative, which is why I'm in the job that I have now and why you've gone on to become an absolute legend. Let's talk about Pizza Hut. I mean, $7.30 an hour <laughs> to now what you're worth. It's like not even loose change. You can't even compare that. What was that experience like? Because this was while you were in school and still trying to get some pocket money along the way. Look Looking back on that time, how did that shape you up to the, be the person that you are today? Yeah, no, it's an extremely humbling uh, experience. Um, and I would uh, recommend it uh, for anyone that's sort of uh, young to kind of get into that environment uh, where, you know, they kind of uh, appreciate the value of uh, money because, you know, you'll do a 10-hour shift and, and uh, you know, make, uh, I think, after tax, it turns out to be like $50. And uh, it's grueling work, you know, it wasn't... Uh, Unfortunately, I wasn't uh, uh, able to work the uh, front counter. So, you know, we had to do all the really, uh, you know, jobs that nobody else wanted to do. So it was kind of washing dishes, cooking, cleaning out the gutters, cleaning the bathrooms, just to do everything. Um, and so it was just keeping, keeping everything up and running. But it was a grueling uh, experience. But I, you know, I learned a lot. Uh, definitely a very humbling experience. And it's, uh, it's hard to look back on it now and imagine because um, things are quite different uh, from those days. But, uh, you know, I would recommend it for uh, anyone that's young to kind of do that for a little while to understand and appreciate a little bit more about the hard work that's kind of required. And it's because you went through that, you truly appreciate uh, the person that you've become because, of course, there's no success without hard work. And that nicely moves us along to the talk that you were invited by your friend for entrepreneurs um, while you were at university. But there was a bit of a stumbling block. The ticket to get in was around 500 Australian dollars and was well out of your reach. At the time you were a 20-something student on a near minimum wage. But in the end, your friend paid for your entry and it changed your life. No, definitely. Still very grateful uh, to that friend uh, till today. Um, obviously quite a life-changing experience. And Does he get you know, royalties? Think, uh, Does he get royalties every time he's... <laughs> he's, uh, he's taken care of for the rest of his life. <laughs> I think uh, the way that the experience uh, began is, you know, you kind of go to university um, and there was no exposure to uh, business and building business. Um, if you don't come from a business background or... Uh, you don't know anyone in, in that uh, sort of industry. My my whole concept of business was I only understood small business. You know, the corner store that would uh, you know sell bits and pieces. Um, that's what I thought business was. I I always thought you know you have to go and work for a big company. And it was only after attending this event that I realized that somebody somewhere built those big companies, mm. and and it's possible for you to do it as well. And so that concept didn't exist. And 
uh, yeah, friend of mine, uh, he was very much into self-improvement and he was always constantly exploring all these different things. And, you know, he came to me one day and he said, hey, let's go to this uh, entrepreneur's conference. And I was like, what the hell is an entrepreneur? And uh, when he told me the price, I was like, no, that's, you know, there's no way I can afford that. Um, but he was, you know, kind enough to uh, buy two tickets. He didn't, you know, tell me, he just went and bought the tickets and he said, no, you're going to this thing. Yeah, at the time, entrepreneurship wasn't a really big thing as it is uh, today. Um, you know, when we went to these conferences, maybe like 10 15 people in the room whereas now you'll see thousands of people and uh yeah you know i was uh quite lucky where you know we're in a room full of people and um you know i saw saw a gentleman there who um seemed quite um you know casual and nice and no one was really speaking to him and i had a nice chat with him and turned out later that uh he was extremely successful and uh he was kind enough to sort of give me his business card and we met for a coffee and he sort of shared uh, a blueprint around how he was solving complex problems. And that completely changed my life, you know, completely changed my whole worldview because I was like, wow, this is, you know, someone I've met and I uh, went and met other, uh, you know, other conferences and met all these extremely successful people. I think one that really stands out for me, uh, you know, we had an entrepreneurial event and one of the speakers was uh, Mike Cannon Brooks from Atlassian. And uh, to see that company become a, you know, $50 billion company is pretty amazing. And so you realize that like, wow, hang on a minute, this is all very possible. The limitations are just sort of in your head. I mean, the saying does go, if you never buy a ticket, you're never going to win the lottery. And that is a perfect example for this conversation. We're speaking to Ahmed Haider, who was on $7.30 working at Pizza Hut, but now he has built an empire worth more than $300 million. How cool. Let's talk about the company which you co-founded. I mean, what was the inspiration behind Zookle? We talked about renting and buying new textbooks but you wanted to make it more affordable for students. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I get this question a lot uh, from people who are starting, which is kind of like, how much does the idea matter? You know, how much time should you spend on a, on a particular idea? And, you know, I think it's, you have to have a vision for something. You know, you have to have something that you really truly believe in. And for me, my own educational experience was quite complicated, as I mentioned. And, you know, just by pure chance, I, I managed to find the thing that I was really deeply passionate about and loved. And, I wanted to do better for students. And so for me, it was really about making education more accessible and affordable globally. And um, that's just a very big uh, mission to strive towards. And, you know, it's a, it's a goal that I'm happy to dedicate my life to. And so that was really the vision behind it. As a student myself, I saw the extreme challenges uh, that everybody was facing. And I was like, you know, there's got to be a better way to do this. And, um, you know, the company's evolved quite significantly from our early days. And uh, we do a whole bunch of different things for, for students. And so the way the concept came about was really my own educational experience that I had um, where I was facing all these different challenges and uh, I thought you know someone needs to do something about this and I thought why not be that someone so if you could describe Zuko to me what would that be I mean we know that it helps students to learn at more affordable prices by allowing them to rent and buy new textbooks online but what are some of the services that you offer as part of Zuko under that umbrella no, definitely. So I, I think we started off with uh, textbooks because that was one of the most universal problems and challenges that students faces. And uh, over the last several years, we've been able to expand into a variety of different areas. So now we provide everything from, um, you know, mobile test prep, flashcards, uh, digital videos uh, to homework help. And so you can ask a question on the platform 
and you know within 20 minutes uh, you'll have an expert tutor uh, explain that key concept to you in a manner that you're sort of used to and, and for you know a very affordable price and so we think of it as a multifaceted platform that solves every student challenge that you face um, across the different areas and across the different segments so it's there as your study buddy for your entire learning journey. Yeah, I did mention you were a university dropout and you co-founded Zuko with a couple of your friends. What were some of the initial challenges you faced while setting up this company? And also, how did your parents react to you dropping out of university? Because this is uh, the <laughs> yeah. subcontinent, you know, the traditions, you know how it is. <laughs> it's not a conversation that you can have very uh, easily uh, with your parents, you know, immigrant subcontinental parents. Quite, uh, they value safety and security. So yeah, to, to answer that question, um, you know, I think uh, the dropout part came a little bit later on uh, when we had sort of uh, built the business to a point of stability because my goal was if I can get it into a position where I have some sort of functional income, um, then I feel as though, you know, if I'm making the same as what my graduate friends would be making, it's just an easier conversation to have uh, with the parents. And so uh, I did drop out, but then I told them a little bit later once um, we were making sufficient, generating sufficient revenue to be able to pay a salary. And, you know, they still were quite scared because, uh, you know, for them, it's it's a huge risk. And the way I looked at it is I said, you know, there's no, there's no security in the world. Uh, you know, uh, you can lose your job. Um, you know, if you start a business, it might not work out. And so, you know, I think if you understand that risk and plan for it, then it kind of opens you up and frees you a little bit. And so um, you're not held to this idea that, you know, I need to have some level of security because I think it's just a fallacy. It doesn't actually exist. When you did see everything sort of come together, how happy did it make you feel that you took a huge risk? I mean, dropping out of university is one thing, but also to see the company just grow and be successful, surely that inspired you to your next project. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, business is extremely challenging. Um, I have a friend who uh, uh, used a very good analogy. He said, think of it as kind of a race race course. And uh, the only choice that you get is is the vehicle that you get to get to sit in, which is really the idea that you have. And so we were facing extreme odds going up against, you know, uh, really big players in the market. And there, there was an extreme amount of challenges. Uh, it was going through a tectonic shift from uh, physical to, to digital and, you know, uh, suppliers uh, were fighting a tooth and nail. And there was a lot of complexity uh, involved in, in, in the business. And so it took an extreme amount of uh, dedication and hard work to be able to kind of work through those and, and change the industry for the better. So I think that was one of our huge milestones that we were able to reach where, you know, we've saved students over $40 million uh, over the last couple of years. Um, and, and hopefully as we continue to grow and do what we're doing, that number will just uh, continue to increase. Um, so yes, tremendous amounts of uh, challenges that we sort of faced in, in the early days. You don't really look at it as like, again, if you have a a vision or a goal, I, I feel like we're just getting started. Um, we haven't quite reached what we want to reach. You know, we still got a very long way to go is, is kind of the way that I look at it because there's so many students uh, globally um, and, and until I feel like we're really playing a place uh, where every single student, every single classroom, you know, we touch them in some sort of positive way and, and either make education more accessible or more affordable for them, our job's not done yet. Absolutely. I mean, um, just another point that jumps out from this um, whole fact sheet was you and your co-founders were putting in 17-hour days, seven days a week. In fact, flew to the U.S. with no money, no contacts, and no experience, but came back with 1.2 
million US dollars worth of investments, which allowed you to scale up the business rapidly. How confident were you that you could actually pull this off? I mean, heading to a completely <laughs> different country with no experience. Did you always just like have that belief to have that faith? Be like, you know, I'm going to go there. I'm going to get this. I'm coming back. And that's it. No questions asked. Yeah, no, we had uh, extreme conviction and, and credit to my uh, co-founders for, for coming along on that crazy journey with us. You know, for us, it was like, it was not really an option. Uh, it was too important that this company existed in the world so that we could help students. And so, you know, obviously we didn't have a lot of money at that time. And so we had only had enough money for accommodation for about two weeks. And, uh, you know, we had really thought about a plan. We were like, well, we'll, we'll sleep in the park and we'll shower at the PCYC and we'll just keep going. And we're not coming back home until it's done. And uh, luckily it didn't get to that point. We were able to, to, to get it. But, you know, we, we just hustled extremely hard. We would uh, wait outside of offices. Um, you know, we'd just go into the laundromat and, and start talking to people and say, hey, we're here from Australia. And, you know, um, uh, this is what we're doing. And do you know anyone? They're, oh, my brother's a VC. Let me set up a meeting or whatever it might be. So it was quite a uh, extreme effort. And, uh, you know, we still put in the, the crazy hours, but it doesn't feel like work. I think after a while, you just really, you really enjoy what you do. Yeah, man, you totally disrupted the industry. I mean, as Zuko goes from strength to strength, the co-op bookshop went into administration, uh, <laughs> owing more than $15 million. I mean, what was going through your mind when you heard that news? I mean, it's good to see the company be successful. But on the other hand, you've just sent someone else into administration. You know, so when we when we first started, um, you know, the co-op bookshop was the big monster um, in in that space where uh, you know it was the six hundred pound gorilla where they had um, uh, you know one hundred and fifty million dollars in revenues. Um, you had fifty two stores all around the country. It was a powerhouse, and uh, for we, we you know we were just a couple of students, and um, we initially approached them with the idea and said, you know, maybe this is something you guys can do to help make the uh, pricing a little bit more affordable. And, you know, we got laughed out of the office, um, which, you know, it makes sense if I was an executive at a big company and mm. two or three students walked through the door and said, hey, this is how you should run your business. I would be like, what are you talking about? And then for us to be able to kind of disrupt them to the point where they went out of business, you know, I think many, many years later uh, was pretty incredible. Um, and it just kind of goes to show that uh, nothing's impossible. Yeah. It doesn't matter how big the challenger is. If you do a really good job, provide value to customers, that's where it goes and where it speaks. It's uh, very similar to some of the stories you see on Shark Tank, right? When individuals go out there, pitch their ideas, but the uh, investors don't believe in them. This is exactly what happened. Don't tell me how to run my business. Don't tell me what to do. And now look at you. So successful. Let's talk about your other uh, startup as well. In 2014, you co-founded a drone delivery service called Flirty which is now called Skydrop. Now, what was the inspiration behind this? Because it's a completely different industry. Yeah, it's quite, quite different. Uh, you know, one, one is uh, business to consumer, uh, had elements of uh, e-commerce, warehousing, logistics, but also um, uh, digital SaaS, uh, which is what we're in, versus, you know, hardware manufacturing, B2B. Um, and so the, the way it came about is... Uh, my co-founder, Matthew, was uh, at the University of Sydney, and I had already been running uh, Zookle for a number of years, and I was always trying to think of ways to make the experience uh, better uh, for students. And so uh, at the time, we handled our own warehousing logistical operations, and uh, one of the biggest delays was getting the goods to the customer. And so, you know, we'd pick and pack an order, we'd get the order pick and pack within two minutes, 
then you would have to wait for the van to come. The van would come pick it up the next day. The next day, we'd go to a sorting center from a sorting center to actually get to the customer. It'd take two, three days. And I was always thinking, isn't there a better way to do this? And, and uh, you know, Matthew had just uh, returned from a trip from China and um, he had been playing with those uh, remote control helicopters. And uh, he was like, you know, what if we were to deliver your goods via a drone? And, um, you know, we could cut the, reduce the time and everything else. And, you know, I thought, well, this is, this is quite interesting. And this could probably solve problems, not for ourselves, but uh, every e-commerce player in the world is going to have this problem around uh, last mile delivery and, and getting logistics uh, to the consumer faster. And so we came together, co-founded the company with uh, Tom as well. And basically, you know, initially we didn't even know if it was technically feasible. And so we had to build the first uh, ever, you know, delivery drone. Um, and so we put that together, we tested it out and it worked. Um, and then uh, we started realizing that, uh, you know, this is not uh, just for ourselves, but this is actually a huge industry. You know, every major player in the world, uh, from your McDonald's to your Domino's to, you know, whatever it might be, is going to eventually be using the service. And then I think it was eight or nine months later, Amazon announced uh, that they were entering the space as well. And then Google announced that they were entering the space as well. So, wow. uh, you know, up against some huge, huge competitors uh, in the space pioneers but i'm still waiting for the day where i'm gonna get my pizza delivered to me by a drone i mean what more could you ask <laughs> think, for in life i think it's just a matter of time but you know before we of course um, you know wrap up this conversation you've dealt with multiple setbacks but how do you fire yourself up how do you bounce back when everything else around you seems like it's burning down Shout out to uh, Mark Andreessen from uh, Andreessen Horowitz and uh, Ben Hor Horowitz who wrote an incredible book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, which really helped build the mindset. Uh, and if anyone's thinking about starting a company, it's, it's a great read because it, it helps you better understand that, you know, they, they have a saying, you know, he said every two or three years in a startup, you're going to go through this uh, situation, which is called uh, WIFIO. And, uh, you know, excuse my language because I know we're on the radio, but it stands for um, uh, where effed it's over. Um, and so, you know, throughout every year, you're going to have two or three situations which are completely, you know, mental and you're thinking to yourself, well, this is, we're done. There's no way around this one. And so having that mindset of just, absolute grit and determination um you'll be able to sort of navigate those through those challenges and i think the way to look at it is you know using that vehicle analogy is you know this is a lifelong endeavor i'm, I'm deeply passionate about creating things for people and trying to make the world a better place and push humanity forward and it doesn't matter about the vehicle you know it could be this could company could be the next company it's just about having a deep belief that what you're doing is so important um you know you're able to get get out of single day even if everything around you is burning down um, because it's so important to you and that's what i was saying is if you don't have that level of conviction you won't be able to deal with the challenges because i don't think any normal sane person will keep going um through you know these extremes but that's where the good stuff is that's where the growth is um that's where you kind of get to where you need to go is if you're able to come back and be stronger and, and smarter and evolve and, and kind of grow through that so it's just starting with the mindset first, which is that, you know, at all odds, at all costs, um, this has to exist because mm. there's a greater purpose that we're serving. Absolutely. I mean, there's a very interesting quote that I that I like from what you were telling me off air. If you are starting a company just to make 
a lot of money, you're better off being an investment banker with fewer hours and better pay. I mean, everyone wants <laughs> to make a lot of money. Everyone goes to work to make money. But if you could offer one bit of advice for entrepreneurs out there or kids graduating from university right now, looking at the next big thing about how they're going to get there for the rest of their life, set that path, what would that be? Don't do it for the money, mm. um, to be honest. You, you won't. It's not like uh, you, if you want to make tons and tons of money, you're much better uh, working um, at yeah. a big investment bank. Um, mm. It's just less hours and less challenging. But I think, uh, you know, I, I hear a lot of people say, do what you're passionate about, do what you're passionate about. Um, but that can be incredibly hard um, to, to better understand uh, that. I think um, have a greater purpose is, is, is probably what I would say. You need to strive for something that's bigger than yourself, purpose, a belief that you have. Um, and if you really strongly hold on to that conviction, you'll do everything in your power to, to make that exist. Um, and so... Firstly, uh, timeline-wise, uh, anticipate that you know you're gonna. If you were to dedicate you know 10, 15 years of your life towards something, if you have a one-year plan, it's probably not the right thing for you, right? Yeah, and so it's not Imagine yeah. like you know what what would I if it was 15 years, 20 years of my life that I spent on working on this, would I still be able to do it? Um, and if the answer to that is yes, then it's probably the right thing for you. Yeah, he was once on seven dollars and thirty cents an hour working at Pizza Hut. He dropped out of university. He attended an entrepreneurship event and now has built an empire worth more than $300 million. So believe in yourself. We've been in conversation with Ahmed Haider. He's co-founder of Zuko, a company that helps students to learn at more affordable prices by allowing them to rent and buy new textbooks online and also a Skydrop, which is a drone delivery service. Thank you so much for your time, Ahmed. Have a great rest of the day. And I'm sure I'll see you when you're in Singapore. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time. Talk to listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.